Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> Bass low notes. Bass low notes. Today we're looking at one of the greatest a cappella works of the 20th century. It's by Jean-Yves Daniel Lesieux, Le Contique des Contiques, The Song of Songs. So who was Lesieux? Well, um, he was an organist, he was a composer. Um, Gregorian chant was an integral part of his education. I think that's important in this piece. He was a student of Tournemire um, in composition and organ. He was organist of the Benedictine Abbey in Paris between 1935 and 39, again in the, in the war years, 1942 and 44. And that, that's clearly important because apparently that was a source he would quote when talking about his musical roots. I think I'm right to say he was a, one of the three organists who premiered Messiaen's La Nativité du Seigneur. That's taken me back to Hereford Chorister days. Remember hearing the last movement of La Nativité du Seigneur, Dieu parmi nous. In fact, let's hear 10 seconds of the really funky bit of Messiaen's Dieu parmi nous. Ferdoin playing part of Dieu parmi nous by Messiaen, a work premiered originally by today's composer Jean-Yves Daniel Lezure. A strange name that, that you'd think his name was Daniel Lezure, but the surname seems to be Daniel Lezure with a hyphen between it. I always thought his name was Daniel Lezure. <laughs> this isn't easy music, but goodness me, I know nothing more worthwhile. It's a piece that we're both passionate about. Eamon, have you, have you conducted this? Have you sung in it? I've not conducted it, uh, but I sang in it uh, performances with Ex Cathedra under Geoffrey Skidmore. Um, well, I must be getting on for 20 years ago now, uh, and it made such an impression on me. It was like nothing I'd ever sung before, really. Um, the 
opulent nature of the of the textures which of course we're going to talk about in due course but I've not had the opportunity to do it since sadly I missed out uh, on the Fagellini recording which was a, a great sorry to me yeah now we got two recordings today we got the, the Fagellini one from a disc called Amuse Bouche in 2015 and then the 16 one from a really important recording I think called La Jeune France La Jeune France was a movement that he set up, wasn't it? That's right. Well, well, sort of. Uh, La Jeune France was a, a group of like-minded composers brought together by uh, the Frenchman Yves Baudrier, uh, and the other members were Olivier Messiaen, André Jolivet, and uh, Jean-Yves Dolé-Lezieux. And their emphasis was more on, more focused on the sort of spiritual values and aspects of music uh, as a counterpoint to the uh, to the neoclassicism and the sort of earthy hedonism of Les Six, uh, Poulenc and Onagora Mio. Well, let's get straight into it. Here's the opening of its seven movements. To the horse bridled to Pharaoh's chariot do I compare thee. My beloved is to me like a posy of myrrh that sits between my breasts. How fair thou art, my beloved, your eyes are like doves. As the apple tree among the orchard trees, so is my beloved among the young men.
daughters of Jerusalem, do not wake my beloved before the hour of her choosing. And that's a refrain that comes back in several several of the pieces. That's the 16 conducted by Harry Christophers in a recording from 1996. Just before your time in the 16? <laughs> a little bit before my time, I'd like, I'm pleased to say. It's an extraordinary sound world, isn't it? It's lush, it's opulent, it captures the exoticism uh, of the language, not just in its harmony, but the texture feels like a you know, sort of opulent silks. I've said opulent twice there. But it's, it's the right word, though. And I, I, um, I keep wondering what I would have done had this work not been composed. Because when you're putting together programmes of, this is, uh, this is mid-20th century, French music, you know, there's Poulenc, of course, um, and there's Poulenc in French, there's the Sept Chansons and the Huit Chansons Françaises. Um, but, you, but Debussy and Ravel, there's so little. So mm-hmm. that you know, Clutus Gottfeld is now arranging Debussy songs for choir. He's even done an arrangement of um, one of the movements from the Messiaen uh, Quartet for the End of Time. Because there's very little of high quality. You know, they were too busy writing for orchestra. What did Debussy write? The Trois Chansons de Charles d'Orléans, which is lovely, but... Yeah. Where's the rest of it? Yeah, so, so this piece seems to fill a hole. It's got the sort of shimmering, I'm going to say shimmering impressionism um, at times, but here it's not just for the sake of the texture, it's because of the textual world of this Old Testament text. Um, and this is something that he, he develops through the piece and, and writes, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it, to say orchestrally, but maybe like an organ uh, is, is a better uh, idea. He uses organs for registrations, doesn't he, the way he, he uses the sopranos just as an accompanying colour sometimes. I think part of the reason that you might like this as well is the fact that the shifting uh, combinations of voices, you know, the way he combines the lower voices and, and the upper voices in, in dialogue often, it's reminiscent of Monteverdi to me. Ah, interesting. I hadn't thought of that. There, it's always under the surface for me, isn't it? Mm. We should just say why it was written or who commissioned it. It was had a television premiere, in fact, um, it, 1952, commissioned by Marcel Courreau and his Ensemble Vocal. And the other two pieces commissioned with it, and the, and the, um, uh, the brief was to write for three spanners, three altos, three tenors and three basses, not SATB with three to a part, but 12 voices, were Messiaen's saint uh and the... Epitalam, is that right? Epitalam, Epitalam by uh, André Jolivet. Now, Harry's talked about the Jolivet in, I think, the, our programme Recording B, Side B. And he, he said that it was almost impossible, didn't he? That's right. Uh, let me see what was the quote he said. Yes, it was, he said it was almost an impossibility to record. Extraordinarily difficult music. Um, but I know that the disc uh, La Jeune France, which has the Jolivet, the Messiaen and the Lesure, uh, on it is one of his proudest achievements. I, I feel the same about uh, Amuse Bouche, actually. Um, this and the the other 12-voice piece from the time, which wasn't a commission, the Ode à la Gastronomie by Jean Francais. Um, he's just suddenly being faced with these... I mean, the, 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 the Jolivet, he, he said he's never done it live, has he? He said he just about managed to... Manufacture isn't quite the right word, but you can, in a recording session, do things that you wouldn't do in a in a live concert. Um, but the Messiaen is quite popular. The BBC singers do it a lot. Very, very difficult. Extraordinarily difficult. We have done that live. Uh, we did it in a series of concerts uh, at the um, at the Festival Hall, uh, actually the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Sorry, um, and 
I was yeah extraordinarily difficult. I mean, we all were using tuning forks. Uh, one of the few performances of anything I've ever done where you know you've had to have a tuning fork in your hand. And, and part of that world of when there was three weeks to rehearse a tricky new commission. I mean, these days you're lucky if you get two days. Um, I'm working with BBC Singers next week. We will have four days to prepare a programme, which seems like an extraordinary luxury um, with professional choirs. But back in those days, you know, people were writing really difficult music for choir and you would have the time you needed to rehearse it. Certainly I've done projects in France where there is that sort of time. Let's get back to texture because that's that opening. Never quite reaches the octave. And I... I came up with this phrase of embodied yearning. Yearning is exactly the word. It really, it just pulls at you straight away, doesn't it? And and this is just, this is just the start. It's a preparation of the colours as we're going to move into number two, the voice of the beloved. And the sound world here, again, it's it's texture. You've got two strands. You've got this sort of actually very messian, even Gershwin he called, but I think better messian. He's leaning over to the piano. That sort of added sixth chord added six added notes in the middle so something quite um uh, actually your your hand just strayed just now to the uh, to listening to uh, the messian trois petites liturgies de la présence divine and it reminded me i sang that last in added notes it's quite simple tunes but just sounding rich it's like there's an extra layer of perfume on the top but over the top of that you get these voices all off the beat singing shima 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 um, is um, a hebrew word for here so let's hear the beginning of this The text thus far has been entirely in French, although there's Latin later on. But what's this Hebrew word Shema doing there? Well, Hugh Keat, who wrote the note for hours, suggests that Daniel Azur was steeped in the tradition that regarded the Hebrew scriptures as divinely inspired prefigurings of later revelation. And he quotes Thomas Aquinas that says there's four ways to read scripture and the literal is only one of them. Um, So from this viewpoint, the sensual, sometimes erotic wedding lyrics of the Song of Songs that uh, you and I and listeners will know from, you know, Sunday Evensong when Patrick Hadley's My Beloved Spake comes up or something, um, 
uh, they're symbolic for the union of Christ and his church. But I think there's a bit of a problem here because certainly the more secular world that we're now in compared to 50, uh, 70 years ago when this was written, we can't understand why why sacred writing, if this is to be read as an analogy, can be so passionate. And is, is Lazou really writing a sacred piece at all? Is it appropriate to have this level of desire in music because it's going to get more uh, full of desire as the piece going on that? And I reckon there are two answers. I think one, there's a sort of failure of our, you know, in my case, post-Protestant imagination uh, because those famous words, you know, um, which isn't Song of Songs, but similar to it, like as the heart desires the water brooks, in the same way, eta in the Latin, in the same way, my soul, my soul thirsts after thee, O God. My soul thirsts after thee, O God. And that's what this piece does. It's about the, the sheer passion for God. And, and we don't see in our little sort of dry Protestant world, perhaps, apologies to Protestants listening who are very passionate, I speak only for myself, um, that there can be this thirst, this need for God. And that's what I think he's embodying, although, you know, we can come back to this because there's, a, there's an interesting little story at the end about that. Let, let's pick up that movement now where we just left it in a sort of gorgeous canonic passage. Again, it's more texture. It's only one tune, but everyone's singing the one tune with a couple of alleluias dropped in. For lo, the winter has passed, the rain is over and gone. How does he create something so rich with so little? can only be french that's that's a shimmering organ texture isn't it it's just it is yeah and it's a tertiary shift as well which is another monteverdi thing but done rather differently <laughs> tertiary shift so he finishes that text uh, that passage Da, 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 dee, 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 dee. And then he holds on to there's a c sharp major chord e sharp which is of course f and a pivots on that too to F major with a sixth in it. Tuxedo Junction. Way down south, boom, 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 Birmingham. Yeah, I just hear all that with the sixth. Yeah, the texture's just so beautiful. Twelve voices, allowing him so many options, including short solos in every pieces. 
And texture's again central to the next one, which is very, very short. It's just a minute and a half, The Dream. It's quite tricky to put together. Do you remember singing this? Particularly difficult for the basses with those tritones. I mean, it's a three-part. It's like a sort of meringue, this, this movement. You've got... It's so brittle. The tenors don't even sing for the first minute of the piece, do they? Yeah, which is quite striking, isn't it? You just take out three voices for, for that long. Um, I rem- the thing I, I recall about this is just the... I mean, it's called Le Songe, the dream, but there's a not a nightmarish quality to it, but there's that sort of shifting uncertainty, the, the swirl of emotions. It's, it's really quite unsettling. And, the, and if you look at the text, on my bed, it's the, uh, the, the, the bride's text, on my bed at night I searched him, uh, he whom my soul loves, I sought him, but I found him not. So I think that's that's the reason for that unsettledness. And you get the, the top voices, miserere nobis miserere, just sort of chanting on the top, low for the sopranos, the basses in this kind of, I say meringue because it's full of air. There's big gaps between them. If you put if you put basses close together, you you don't get the 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 chords. It's it doesn't work as far as you just sort of basic acoustics. Anyway, let's just hear it. It's it's so short. Le Songe from Les Yeux, Cantique des Cantiques, Harry Christophers and the Sixteen. And there's that refrain that we heard at the end of the first movement, brought back in, bringing the dream to a sort of more gentle close. But prior to that, this uh, this energy, it's like, a, it's like a sort of scherzo, since yeah. you've mentioned symphonic but, textures. And, and, and doesn't, doesn't outstay its welcome. Something else about those three three textures, they're, they're each in a different sort of tonal centre. Um, so the sopranos are on F, the basses are sort of... Uh, around D flat and, and and sort of pivoting on a tritone, it's quite difficult to pitch and sing. Um, and then you've got this tune in fourths, sometimes in thirds with the altos. Um, so each strand of the texture really has its own character. And without the tenors singing until the very end, there's room to hear each of those. In previous episodes, you mentioned the story of Stanford standing at his window, looking out at the Albert Hall with Howells, 
and saying that there weren't enough windows in houses, in houses music. music. And when yeah. you look at this on the page and when you hear it, there's an awful lot of daylight coming yeah. through the texture because it, it would be so easy to overscore this, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, but dropping out those tenor parts for, for, you know, for almost a minute. Uh, and then it looks, it, it looks like you can see through it on the page. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's transparent. Uh, movement four is more conventional. We're not going to play it except this last phrase, King Solomon. Even just sitting here, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. It's outrageous. It's an outrageous chord. It's not just an added sixth um, in that chord, but it's not just that. It's the nasal colour of the vowel, le roi Salomon. And uh, getting English singers to do that uh, is is something they learn, maybe a little bit at conservatoire. Um, but I, I think Fagellini singers, that was Fagellini, that are particularly good at that and leading at the top there. I mean, they all have a real interest in language. Is Helen Neves also sings with the BBC Singers, and she's just so fantastic at, at French music. But what a way to paint the opulence and the magnificence of King Solomon with a chord like that. But it continues in Movement 5 with a totally different sound world, so less about formality and something incredibly intimate hortus conclusus le, le jardin clos the enclosed garden actually this has already been featured in call chihuahua uh, because one of the jingles showing second inversion chords um, uh, features the very opening here so let's 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 play the jingle second inversion chords second inversion chords So the bridegroom in this is represented by those three tenors uh, with no root to the chords. What do we mean by second inversion chords? Just in case you're not familiar, if you take a chord like this, that's regarded as a root position chord. The root to the chord, D flat major is the bottom. If you put the D flat higher up and use the third of the chord as the bass line, we call that a first inversion. If you keep going using the, th the, the fifth of the chord as the bottom, and we call it a second inversion. So that's how all these chords are built up with second inversion chords. Um, so the bridegroom is represented by the three tenors. Well, the, 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 the sopranos have the, the voice of the beloved has this sort of Star Trek wordless melisma, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a distant sort of ethereal otherworldly voice. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair like a flock of goats. OK, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. couldn't fail but be seduced by that music could you but why goats i always just thought this there were just strange cultural references that make no sense to me but until i was on holiday in the yorkshire dales a couple of years ago 
at springtime. Um, and we were on one side of, I forget whether it was Wensleydale, that is a place, folks, not just a cheese. Um, and there was a there was a flock of, of sheep, actually, it was. And they'd all just been shorn. Uh, and uh, the sun was just coming out and going in again. And every time they moved as a group together and the sun hit them, it was like this single unit of white colour flying across uh, flying across the side of the hill. And it was absolute magic. And at that moment, I understood why to say that your hair is like a flock of goats is not quite as, as, as a strange, strange analogy as it might as it might be. Your cheeks are like two halves of pomegranates. Your two breasts are like two young deer that feed among the lilies. So he's really going for the major against minor chords now in a really voluptuous sounding way. Uh, is it helpful to say that there are sort of organ textures here? There's the sort of doubling of things you can do with organ organ registration. So things are, are regularly dub, um, doubled down the octave or uh, in the octave above, but while keeping tunes in the middle uh, and tunes and text in the middle, which means you can hear the text more easily than you can if sopranos are singing it up high. Yeah, and the, the I mean, the harmonies as well at times are reminiscent of the mutation stops on an organ. What, what does that mean? So you have the note itself and a harmonic plays another note above it, creating uh, a sort of, you know, again, this uh, exotic texture. This carries on now with this phrase, tu me fais perdre le sens. You make me lose my mind, my sister, my spouse, with a single glance.
that's just extraordinary, isn't it? And it's the major minor. If, if you'd wanted to be really sort of following the harmonic series for a major minor chord, you put the major chord at the bottom and the minor chord at the top because that follows the natural physical layout of the word, the word, the notes in the harmonic series. So that would have sounded like this. But he doesn't quite do that. He allows the minor at the bottom, but then just sticks one sharp in there. It's subtler, and, and they're all humming it, of course. Just such such textures. What larks, Joe, what larks? I mean, why doesn't everyone want to do this piece all the time? Why don't we say, oh, they're doing the Daniel Luzier again? Because it's it's pretty rare. Hats off to Comosio, um, uh, an amateur choir, but a really good one, um, led by Matthew Berry, a man who really, really knows his 20th century music. But it's really hard. I think that's the, that's the first thing, isn't it? It's difficult. And when you first hear it... I think a lot of choirs would think, oh, I'm not sure we could manage that. It, it's, hard, it's hard both technically, isn't it, and note-wise. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a big thing. You know, there's no question about that. Uh, there are technical challenges. That phrase that we just heard, you know, humming that high up and singing it in tune. You know. Go back to the 16 Sopranos and James McMillan. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, the fact that it's in French, I wonder whether that is... I mean, you've mentioned how important it is to really understand the colours of the French language to really bring it out. There's this phrase for the four nasal vowels in French, a good white wine, un bon vin blanc, um, that is really useful. I remember t doing this with the 24 in my first year in York, uh, which was a big thing to bite off. And we never quite sorted out some of those, although we did try. But actually, the concert we did two weeks ago, because I hardwired it in from the start, those vowels and the ooh and the u and the tongue position for those things being different, we, we managed it. But French is a thing with language uh, tuition on the way down in schools in the UK. Fewer people. Yeah. Cost and as well. Well, the cost, I mean, they're expensive scores. Uh, well, we, we know yeah. this, that uh, you know, it's published by Durand, and that's uh, traditionally an expensive house to buy yeah, from. Well, I mean, um, I think French publishers charge a lot for their scores because they're used to people photocopying them. But if you're honest, like we were and bought a set of 24 when we did it um, for the recording, uh, it, they're £40 each. But they're on offer at the moment, aren't they? We've checked. Yeah. You can get them for £25 at the moment. This is a bargain, folks. Get out there. Presto Classical, they're selling them. Uh, may, maybe all the, the shops have got this offer, but until I think the middle of April, uh, not long after this show goes out, they're £25 or something. Get out there, folks. Get onto your treasures. Yeah. And what about comparison with the other pieces in the set? Um, we talked a little bit about uh, Messiaen and, and Jolivet. Uh, I haven't sung the Jolivet. Were you on the. You, you weren't on the recording either. We talked about how Harry said it's just physically very difficult, but it is manageable you know from bar to bar whereas the messian is just really hard isn't it incredibly difficult um and it, i mean I, th I think back to that concert and i mean my overriding memory of it is one of terror um and you know it's much like a fagellini concert actually um no I mean, that was i think i mean it's right up there with the hardest things the most difficult in terms of notes that i've ever had to do um, but then I'm not as experienced in singing you know, really tricky contemporary music as, as some of my colleagues, so I found that a, a particular challenge. It's, it's at times like this you really have to admire choirs like the BBC Singers. You know, what is their USP? What are they really good at and, and have been for 50 years doing difficult contemporary scores, taking the time, learning the notes, 
Um, but of course, I think, you know, the more you do it, the more accustomed you are and, and the more or the less of a challenge it might seem. And, you know, a shout out to Exaudi and James Weeks yeah. and his wonderful group of singers who tackle unbelievably challenging music. Yes. This is the same James who says he's related to Thomas Wilkes, as I think we mentioned in the in, in the Wilby programme. Before the finale, the seventh movement, we'll just play you a touch of number six, the Sulamite, which stands here meaning a very beautiful woman. And it's set up by quite an odd and tricky little dance motif. Let's just let's just hear that opening, because not only is it in 5-8, a sort of three, three quavers and then two quavers, but there's a syncopated um, motif of that as well. From that start of texture and offbeat rhythms, it starts to build itself up with that as a basis into a really symphonic froth with different elements. Uh, the one you hear next is the three tenor trio led in our recording with such elan by Nicholas Mulroy with this lovely text. The curve of your thighs is like a necklace. The way you move is like a swaying palm tree. And perhaps that's the reason for the three-two in this piece. Oh, the sway. The, the sway, I don't know. I mean... Um, they do say the more you look at this piece, the more you, you sort of uh, imprint your own ideas on it, but you can analyse it in so many different ways. then the bases have the text your breasts are like clusters of grapes i will climb the palm tree and take hold of its clusters and the bases leave their low texture and move up into the tenor world I mean, has someone turned the temperature up in here or something? <laughs> I, I tell you what I love about this piece. It's so brilliantly written. There's not a note out of place. Easy thing just to cliche with. But it's really true. There's nothing wasted because a 12-voice texture uh, is y y liable to be overblown. 
but he keeps letting air in. It's like, you know, the stained glass windows, the light comes in, not just the light, but almost the sort of rays of light. And when the basses are used, um, they have a real melodic function sometimes, but then he allows enough space around that. And that's, so that's the end of number six. And then number seven, which is more in obvious sort of religious world and based on uh, this plain chant, Veni Sponsa Christi Archipe Corona, which is the plain chant for a feast of a virgin come Bride of Christ. I heard a good story related to this from my wife. Um, 1992, Barcelona Olympics, Linford Christie won gold medal in the 100 metres. Where on earth is this going? 1992, the National Youth Choir of Great Britain were on tour, on their world tour, and performing the Contique des Contiques. So in celebration of Linford Christie's great achievement, instead of Veni Sponsor Christie, they sang Veni Linford Christie instead. (laughs) Well, lovely. So, so far, we've had this, apart from number four, perhaps, we've had this very secular-sounding text with wonderfully descriptive textures and rhythms and and harmony that summons up, at least to my Western ears, exotic colours of the Middle East, but constantly interpolating other Christian texts just as a sort of side story that relate to a, a contemporary Christian worldview. Now, after our recording came out, I had an email from the composer's son, Christian Lazure, um, and uh, he had some very interesting views on this. Christian Lusier said of his father, his aim was to use the potential of the choir to superpose and intermingle the partially mysterious spiritual and earthly dimensions, just as the lovers might have done in their own psyches. As a consequence, one may easily draw Le Contique des Contiques to either the spiritual or the profane side. Is it a deeply religious work? Rather, it is a work with a deep spiritual dimension and at the same time a profoundly humane dimension in line with the original Jeune France philosophy. While Daniel Lazure was a practicing Roman Catholic and a believer in the spiritual dimension of man, he didn't share Tournemir's or Messiaen's breed of religiosity and militant Catholicism. And I don't think he considered Le Contique as part of his religious musical production in a strict sense. That's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, It reminded me of the conversation I had with Jean Francais' um, son and daughter about his views on composition and and life. Um, And what are we to do with that? Well, the glorious thing about it is that you do what you like with it because the piece is so good. Mm. Um, And the thing is, whatever you want to imprint on it uh, in your performance, that doesn't mean the audience will take that from it. The audience will take away it, as they do with any piece of music that you perform uh, perform to an audience. It's certainly a hugely attractive piece, both to sing and to listen to as a concert piece. So having set up that... Veni Sponsa Christi tune that at times is going in three different octaves. I mean, this is where we go back to the organ registration thing a little bit and also the the accompanying chords that don't get in the way but are regularly higher than the tune. Um, That's that's a skill, isn't it? The upper voices come in with this sort of sweep on the familiar words, set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as harsh as hell. Let's just hear the those those chords on their own so that familiar messian almost gershwin world of added sixth added notes and that is placed over the top of the bit that we've already heard leading to this 
extraordinary climax on the word alleluia. Keep your ear, uh, difficult to do, but keep your ear on the bass part as it descends on those last four chords. Fagellini, conducted by you, Robert Hollingworth. Well done, me. I don't know, maybe I just am I'm blind with this piece, but that just seems like such an original end, instead of being tonic-dominant. OK, so that's going back a century or two with Beethoven, but to have the bass descending with notes outside the chord and then a sort of bare fifth at the end that takes us back to sort of Macho and the 14th and 15th century, I just find it cataclysmic and utterly exotic and ecstatic it's overwhelming i think it, it does bring the piece he couldn't really have done i mean could he have done anything else i mean where, what kind of last chord do you have so actually just having that bare fifth it's kind I think, of a master stroke isn't it yeah because you've had the added notes to the chords all these sort of added sixth and things the whole way through and suddenly to to rip them away takes away all the decoration and just leaves you with something pure pure joy at the end So folks, get out there and give this piece a go. Take advantage of this offer to buy these scores now while they're a little bit cheaper. 
and give it a go. You won't regret dipping your toe in this water. You really won't. And I know people are sort of, you know, horrified. These are twenty-five pounds for a for an acapella score, but we've all got used to getting stuff for free off CPDL and IMSLP. Quite often, copyrights have been breached when those editions are put up on CPDL. You know, sometimes you have to pay for music. Sometimes you have to pay for something that's worthwhile. And I don't think anyone, uh, you know, a few months into rehearsing this would say that this score wasn't the money. It's an absolute masterwork. We'll see you next time when, Eamon, who are we going to be talking to? I'm going to be speaking with the composer, Cecilia McDowell. See you then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.